Thank you so much for being here. I'm Ted, and a lot of you aren't from the desert originally. Some of us have been here long enough that we've adjusted, we've adapted. In our house, we noticed an alarming number of uh, rattlesnakes, regular snakes, and uh, lizards, like a comical amount of lizards, like watch the next step amount of lizards up until Wednesday. And then Wednesday, they all went away. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if there's a lizard convention out of town. I don't know if their little feet were being burned because it warmed up. I don't know what happened. But the lizards at our house up in uh, crime-free Oral Valley, they just went away. Um, last two Sundays ago, I went for my old man bike ride after church, and I'm riding along, and there's a snake, a rattlesnake halfway on the path, so I stop, I take my little video of it, and this guy is just annoyed that I stopped on the bike path, so he walks right by with by the snake within striking distance. Sir, sir, he had his headphones in, he didn't care. Apparently, that's no longer an issue. They're all gone. This morning, I was reminded the weird, crazy, creepy bugs of the desert are out. So that's what's next. So I just want to say, as part of the Chamber of Commerce, welcome <laughs> to the desert. And uh, all I can tell you is uh, nobody's from here, and it gets weird. But we don't have earthquakes. We don't have tornadoes. We don't have hurricanes. We don't. That's it. That's all we have. We have heat. And you've watched your last weather forecast. No need. This time of year, you know what time it is at 8 o'clock in the morning? You know what the temperature is? 82 degrees. You know it's going to be middle of the afternoon? Death. <laughs> That's it. That's all you have to know. So don't worry about the weather forecast. Welcome. But what I know is if you've taken the time to be here, you're looking for the same thing I'm looking for. I want, I would guess, a third of the room isn't so confident that God even exists. Let's go with two-thirds of us are darn confident God exists. But in a moment, you might have some moments where you're, either, you, either you doubt God exists or you'd rather he not for the next thing you're about to do. So there is that. But this morning, what we would like is for the God of the universe to show up in a meaningful, personal way. We want that moment where Peter was panicked with Jesus and said, we owe the temple tax. And we don't have jobs. I used to be a fisherman, but you told me to stop. I'm going to be fishers of people. And that's great, but it doesn't really pay. So what do we do? And Jesus said, well, fisher boy, go fishing. You'll catch a fish. He'll, he'll have two coins in the mouth to pay for the tax. And Peter did that. And there were two coins, and he paid the tax. And you know Peter was tempted to keep fishing, right? But he didn't. He was just amazed by Jesus one more time. So all of us would like a moment where the God of the universe shows up, and we'd like some time with each other. We'd like to know that everybody else is watching their next foot for snakes and lizards and weird, creepy bugs. We, we don't have mosquitoes. Too hot for mosquitoes. They just die. So let's go with the good news and the fact that we're all in this together. And so to encourage that, the most Tucson thing in the world is the snacks are back there on the table. And I know some of you don't believe me, but feel free Get up, go grab something, come back and sit back down. There's, a, there's some water bottles around, and, uh, and if it runs short, then Ken will go reload. It's, it's fine. He's heard the sermons before. He's been here for years. So uh, get something to eat, have a snack. And the reason why we do that is Jesus said, the Bible said, Paul wrote it, don't stop breaking bread together because there's something fun that happens why do all the good parties end up in the kitchen after the losers go home, right? There's something about the food. So when this is all done, we're going to go out, turn left, and have Bosa donuts, which are among the greatest donuts you'll ever have. 
There's also Donut Wheel, so you can make your choice after you've lived here a while. But on that note, let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, we are here, and we are going to do our best with our screen-addled brains to pay attention for the next few minutes and see if you can speak our language in a way that amazes us, for some of us once again, and for some of us for the first time. Would you bring us a, a peace that you are with us, that we're not alone? Would you bring us the comfort that you have an adventure for us to leave, to live, not leave, to live, and you're not going to leave in the middle of our adventure? What we have going on right now is plot, and that's what you mean to have happen in our lives. May we cling to you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray, and everybody said, amen. So we're going to have a conversion story this morning. This really sets up our next Baptism Sunday. We uh, bring out a bunch of plastic, and, uh, and we put a horse trough out here because, you know, when that long ago we were covered in dude ranches around here. So we fill it up. We warm it up when we line it with plastic so that it doesn't, you know, leak under the electronics. That's like a hot tub in there. It's nice. We've had people do the baptism and offer to stay. So it's nice. So we... Uh, Tucson isn't the most naturally Christian, churchy kind of place. So we tend to have mostly adults that get baptized. And so I'm just setting this up. For some of you, I'll try not to look you in the eye in the next 30 seconds, but some of you are ready to be baptized. And when we roll it out next time, we want to see you in there or else my New York mocking will kick in. But that's up to you. It's between you and your creator and me. So this is a conversion story. This is the guy that wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, didn't mean to. He was, in fact, he was against these losers. He was a young man. He was a, he was a minister, very sharp, very smart guy. He could make an argument about the Old Testament God. And they were in the Roman Empire, so it was nice to have some political clout. The, the way Rome took over conquered lands is you could keep your local religion. You do that. You keep your local religion. We'll entertain you with the whole gladiator thing, and you guys send in taxes, and we'll get along great. So Paul, by being someone rising up in the local church, had some political power even. And Paul was pretty excited about that, except his name was Saul. He didn't become Paul until after all we're talking about today. But we'll interchange him a little bit. Same guy, but he had Saul. Some of you had this. You had a life before you met Jesus and a life after, and you might as well have gotten a name changed. My uh, very New York sister-in-law, when I felt called to ministry and I was preparing, I was going to see everybody. Right after this, they were shipping me to London, so I couldn't become a minister in, um, in the Americas, for crying out loud. And so we're doing dishes in their New York home, lovely home, and she said, Minister. This is a real change for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, nobody else is saying it out loud, but you're from Long Island, and this is what happens. So some of you might as well have gotten a new name. For some, it was a very uh, an easy conversion. I've had two experiences where the God of the universe showed up in such a powerful way, it absolutely changed my life. One, I was in that 10 to 12-year range, and I was going to church and in New York. It was me and the old ladies, my mom and dad, and my three years older brother and I. And there was 
not many kids, right around 13, the friends that I'd gone to church with, they all disappeared because their parents gave them the option. You don't have to go to church. This does not apply to our middle schoolers going into high school. <laughs> parents gave them the option. You don't have to keep going to church. And they're like, oh, great. And it was just down to me. But about two weeks before then, I'm standing in church, and it wasn't the walk down the aisle church. I mean, right now, if you walk down the aisle, I mean, what are you going to do? Come down, stand next to Claire? I mean, what are you going to do? We don't have an aisle, right? So this was an old church where I grew up in New York, thrived in 1835. I'm old. I'm not that old. So it was a classic. It could have been a movie set kind of church. And I'm singing the closing song next to my older brother, next to my mom and my dad. And this, like, beacon of the universe comes over me. It's like, what is going on? I'm just singing this dumb old song. How come, how come God's picking on me? And I felt God saying, move out the aisle and come down. Would have been a real shock to my minister. I wasn't that kind of church. And, and, uh, and say that you're, on, you're accepting me, that you're on Team Jesus. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. That is dumb. I'm not doing that. We get through the song, like tears are in my eyes. I don't know, not 11-year-old boys, not a lot of time crying when you're 11. And yeah, I was just trying to keep it away because I had a New York older brother, and I didn't want him to see that, so I'm really focused on the song. And then I forgot all about it because, you know, I was 11. And then the next Sunday, I come back to church, forgotten all about it. Same thing happens again with the closing song. I'm starting to dread the closing song. Like, can we wrap this up a little sooner? Like you're thinking right now, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> And after like a month of that, it's like, oh. Sounds like to my brother, pardon me. He's like, what are you doing? Don't be disruptive. Try not to be you for just a minute. I'm like, no, no, I got to do this. So I go out and pass my mom and dad. You can just pack a picture. I'm the youngest of six. They're like, uh, everything is always new. No matter how many kids you have, there's always the last one always has a new thing, right? So I walk down and the minister comes down and meets me. And he's like, Ted, it's not over yet. Because we go down and race to put out the old candles. This guy, I, I know. I said, I feel like I'm being called to come down here and talk to you and tell you I want to accept Jesus. This is a New York ministry. It's like, well, I've heard of that. <laughs> so then they have to take off the old baptism. It's all rusted out. And, and I got baptized. And it was great. The next time it happened, so that was when I was like 10 or 12. The next time I was 28. And I was uh, trying to avoid what I felt called to do was going to be a minister, and I didn't want to do that. I think we can all agree on that. I wanted to have a fun life. The parenting video on a Friday night, it was great. Parenting thing was great. But halfway through, the, the professional marriage counselor announces on a video around the five love languages book that sold millions of copies, I'm not married to the woman I wanted to be married to. It's like, wow, that's really dumb. So the five love languages is great, but whew, that wasn't so good. But obviously your wife isn't listening to this. I married the woman I wanted. We were married two years before she even knew I was interested. That's how smooth I was, very smooth. I got the one. But I didn't want to be a minister, but at 28 I had a similar circumstance, similar experience. And those are the two moments where it's not that I heard the voice of God, but that's as powerful for me as it was. Now, some of you would say, oh, no, I'm a committed Christian, but I don't have that moment. I just became aware that I believe this, and I'm committed to it, and that's good. It doesn't have to be a bright, shining light, but it can be. Here's Paul, Saul, the young scholar, young politician, took the Old Testament very seriously. And now there's this 
new way. They're calling themselves the way. They're claiming that God in sandals showed up, taught, did miracles, and then the Romans killed him on a cross because people like Saul wanted him dead because he was causing trouble. And then he didn't stay dead. In the Old Testament, there were some people that, like Lazarus, they were dead, they came back to life, and then they had a second funeral. It's like, well, you failed again. Now you get, you get to go to heaven. Jesus is the first one that was not dead, and there, that's it. I mean, Elijah never died. He got to go in a chariot of fire, but Jesus was the one that says death isn't the end. That, it changed everything. And all of the early Christians, in order to have any kind of um, um, trust, they, they had to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection, not the first five minutes, the empty tomb, but they had to see Jesus alive. And there's a whole list of people that did. And that's how the church got started, was people saw Jesus alive. And so they're claiming this is the new way, and Paul, Saul, is having none of that. So he goes and gets his papers in order, and he says, uh, my dad was Jewish, so I say this, it sounds like I'm anti-Jew, but I'm not. I love my dad dearly, so when we do the DNA test, I'm, it's listed pretty high for me because God said, I'll make you a great nation. You don't take your DNA test, and it comes back, you're 33% Episcopalian, right? It doesn't... Doesn't, that's not how it comes back. But Biden comes back almost 50% Jew because God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And it was. You, you might have, I don't know what you have on yours, French, Canadian, whatever you have on yours. So the, the Old Testament believers in God who didn't get that Jesus was the answer to the Old Testament promise didn't like these people claiming that Jesus had been. We killed that guy. And he didn't stay dead, but he's not around anymore. And so we're done. Don't speak of him. Some of you grew up in houses like that. If we don't speak about it, then it didn't happen. I grew up in a New York house. We talk about everything. I married a Southerner. She's not on board with that, but we're only 24 years in. I'm winning her over a little bit every day. They weren't excited about the Jesus stuff. So Saul goes and gets his papers in order so he can go arrest these new way Jesus followers and throw them in jail. And if they're trouble, he can kill them. So he gets, uh, gets his henchmen and off they go. As he was approaching Damascus from Jerusalem up the road on this mission, mission. Do you have a mission? Your mission, right? To be well married. Your mission is to complete the task, to raise these kids well. Your mission. Paul took this very seriously. Saul. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. That's how bright it was. During the day, the light was so bright. I live here. I can't picture more light than a typical Tuesday afternoon sunshine, right? You just walk outside, and it'll almost knock you down. Jesus was even brighter than that. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? A very good question. First of all, who are you? He's, he's on the ground. He's about two and a half days into this three-day journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's fueled by hatred and righteous indignation. Isn't this great fuel? Oh, a, a good Jew will tell you, don't demonize your fellow citizens, because then you've got someone like Hitler who comes in and takes advantage of the situation. You can't demonize your fellow citizens, even if they don't know how to vote properly. Can I get an Amen. You can't demonize your fellow citizens. They may be morons. I mean, many of you have in-laws. You know, you know, you got to find a way. You got to find a way. Paul, Saul, was fueled by hatred and righteous indignation. These were no longer 
fellow humans. These were subhumans that need to be dealt with. Usually it takes us a lot to get out of that mindset, so don't fall into that. So Paul, Saul asked the question, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you? Lord, lowercase, right? He's not buying. Who? Well, you're obviously powerful, but who are you? Why am I persecuting you? And the voice replied, didn't know who it was yet, I am, it's the Old Testament way God referred to himself, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus has had enough. Got to make a return trip. When Jesus went back to heaven, he said, you're not going to see me again until I come again, and that ends things. It changes everything. We've been waiting 2,000 years, the second coming. We make movies about it. I don't watch them. I'm sure they're terrifying, but I believe Jesus is coming back. I just don't want to hear someone's interpretation of it. I'll just wait on Jesus. Either Jesus is coming back during our lifetime, or we're going to have our lifetime on earth end, and we'll go see Jesus. But either way, Jesus said, you're not going to see me again until I come back. Saul has gotten so far off track, Jesus has to make a special appearance. Have you ever had one of those? That's it, kids. I'm not coming in again. I need all of you to go to sleep. I got a sliver. All right. One more appearance. We just tell our kids. We have a 7-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 14-year-old. The 14-year-old's raising himself at this point. But for the other two, I just tell them, I am th- I'm wonderful. I am the best dad you're ever going to have. But once 9 o'clock rolls around, I don't love you anymore. We'll pick it up again in the morning. If you need to come in, then go see Mommy. But Jesus had to make a special appearance, even though he said, I'm not coming back. I'm done. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. In the early days of the church, unless you saw the risen Jesus, you didn't get to be one of the leaders. If you didn't have the he was dead, but I saw him after he was dead experience, you weren't a leader. Well, Saul just had that experience about to be renamed. Here's the crazy thing. This likely isn't the first time Saul has met Jesus. If he's part of the group that's anti-Jesus, so much that they give him the papers to go get the Jesus followers, it's not that long after Jesus was there. There's a good chance Saul heard Jesus talking in the temple and Jesus didn't win him over. But this experience, this one got him. I didn't, Jesus said, stop attacking me. And Saul said, I didn't realize you were real. Well, I am. Now get up and go into Damascus. I got a new plan for you. Wait for a better plan. Have you ever been in this stage of life? Wait for a better plan. You had a great plan, and then you start following that plan, and you realize this is not a good plan. Paul, Saul, is the one telling this. Paul is the one admitting this. Wasn't the henchman that told this story. This is Paul telling Luke, who was traveling companion of of Paul. Luke heard Paul talk about Jesus such a convincing way that Luke, who's probably a physician, gave up his post and started following Paul and making notes. That's why we have the baby stories, because Luke wasn't there. He went back and interviewed the eyewitnesses, and mom remembers the baby stories. Dad remembers roughly the number of children they have. Mom remembers the details of the birth. That's why you read the book of Luke at Christmas time. If it's Joseph's versions of events, It's like, yeah, we have kids. Jesus was one of them. It's less compelling, right? You go talk to mom. She's got the details. 
once we um, accept Jesus, we kind of have this secret notion that if God is real, I won't have problems, right? Those weird bugs won't be at my house. One, yes, they will. They come up through the toilet. Good luck. That was the last time you'll ever enjoy a moment of peace in the bathroom. <laughs> and two, you look at what Jesus went through, it doesn't necessarily bode well for an easy life for us. So Paul is the one telling this. And if you spot one moment of this that makes Paul look good, reread it. This is the moment Paul realized what a fool he was. So here we go. We think we should expect smooth sailing. Last week we talked about the giants in, in, uh, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Well, we got some giant problems down here, all right. Saul has one right now. Verse 7, the men with, with Saul stood speechless. If your job is to be a henchman for this guy who's got paperwork to go arrest people and kill them if you have to, what are the odds you're good on compassion? Not good. You're good at killing people. You're good at following rules, directions. You're good at hurting people. Now, now Saul's on the ground. They heard a voice, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. You just picture these two, right? If you had watched any mob movie from the 70s, you can picture these guys. They say, Saul on the ground, they're looking around. What's going on? Do I get paid overtime for this? Verse 8, Saul picked himself up off the ground. They didn't even help him. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He's walking along, sunny day probably. The light's so bright, it knocks him to the ground. He closed his eyes to Jesus. When he opened him up, he was blind. The light blazed through even though he was trying to close his eyes. So now, Jesus calling Saul slash Paul into a whole new life of basically blindly following Jesus into all kinds of adventures. You're about to be shipwrecked and whipped by the Roman Empire and be bitten by a poisonous snake at one point. Not to bring that up again. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Can you imagine the awkwardness of that? These are tough guys. Like, uh, all right. Just hold, you're going to carry him, throw him over your shoulder? That or you've got to just lead him in. He remained there in Damascus blind for three days and did not eat or drink. The old, the old uh, translations say he fasted. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, you kind of lose your appetite if you're battling, you know, hunger. Just randomly go blind and meet Jesus, and all of a sudden you're not. You're going to be off food for a few days. It's like any trip to Banner, right? But I'm sure it's easier for everyone else to follow Jesus. That's what it feels like, right? Verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The scene shifts. So Paul, Saul, is there in an Airbnb, blind, trying to figure this out. For three days, no inclination that anything happened in those three days other than Paul trying to figure out what is going on. Now, Ananias lived around the corner. He was a committed Jesus follower, and he'd heard about Saul was coming to cause trouble. Been to church, been to small group, and they talked about, uh, Saul's coming. Be careful, you're going to end up in jail. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. We, we say when we have prayer time, we want powerful prayer time. Well, based on my two experiences, careful. It can be life-changing. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. 
we want that powerful prayer time. I need to stress that I like being a minister. I didn't realize I was going to like being a minister. I had a different plan. I went to play baseball, but there's a whole talent thing that I didn't qualify for. And then I went into broadcasting, and I really enjoyed that for a while until I didn't so much. And I was really thankful. I've enjoyed being a minister for almost 30 years now. Being a minister is great. And I got to meet the hot chick at seminary. So I've got zero complaints. But it's very different than I had intended. Well, I wanted a hot chick, but I think that goes without saying. The Lord said to Ananias during prayer time, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. He is praying to me right now. Well, shouldn't you be listening to him and not talking to me? Because I don't want to go see him. We're having a good prayer time ourselves right here, God. I feel like you're not listening. The problem with these directions from God for Ananias is they are way too specific. Can I get an amen? You want me to do what? I want you to leave your house. I want you to go over to Judas' house. Here's the address. 1138 Straight Street. You know that one, the blue house next to the house with that weird red door? Know the one I'm talking about? Yes, Lord, I know the one you're talking about. Great, go over there. And when you go in, you're going to see Saul. The one that came to arrest me? Yes, you're going to see Saul. I want you to walk right in there. And I want you to say, Saul, the Lord sent me. Verse 12, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, looks suspiciously like you. And laying hands on him so he can see again. Another church thing, right? We could have done that with Edward just now. Uh, lay hands on him and pray a ceremonial blessing. The classic Old Testament line is, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what we all want to say if we're Jesus followers. Here I am, Lord. Your life is better than anything I have lined up. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That's what we want to say. That's what we believe we would say. It's not usually what we say. Ananias, no question, had been saying that. Lord, I'd be willing to lay down my life for you. Great. Go over to State Street, 1180, step over the kids' bikes, knock on the door and say, I'm here, Saul. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people. Yeah, okay, you're God, but I've heard people talk. So let's counteract you a little bit about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, exclamation point, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name, and that's me. I'm calling on your name right now, and you're telling me to go over and, and, and go meet the guy. Hi, I hear you're here to kill me. Ananias, I want you to go over. I'm talking. He's praying to me right now. Wouldn't that be an indication that he's changed his mind? God said to Ananias, go over. Saul is praying to me right now. I want you to go over. And Ananias said, no. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my... By the way, did you get what Ananias just did? What you don't seem to know, Lord, is he has papers. Don't we do that? We want a powerful life with the God of the universe. Show yourself, Lord. Well, not like that. In comfort, in free Netflix, in something. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings. Well, you read through what Paul wrote and what Luke wrote about Paul, and that's true. As well as to the people of Israel, God's original people. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, well, good. Can I get an amen? As long as he's going to have to suffer, then I'm okay. 
something about Saul was so impressive. He was rising through the ranks as a Pharisee, and now Jesus has brought him over to the winning team. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias did not say, I really don't want to be here. Some of you are thinking it. You didn't realize how biblical it was. I don't want to be here, Saul. Can you imagine the lousy attitude Ananias had as he's walking over to this Judas house on Straight Street? What kind of conversation Ananias was having in his head? Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Well, that's got to be odd in its own right. When I pray for you, you, how many fingers? All right. Ananias had to be shocked, right? Well, I didn't expect this to work. Instantly, something like scales from, from, fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. See, some of you. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. It's been three days. Ananias may have been really tempted to stay near the exit as he walked in, right? Saul, I'm back here. How about you come up here? I'm blind. Yeah, well, I'm facing death, so you come by the front door because I'm out of here. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now you got Ananias on team, on team Saul. Hey, have you guys met the fire-breathing dragon guy with the papers? He's my friend Saul. Ananias, just this nice guy. Everybody likes Ananias. He's too, he's too dumb to make any kind of uh, determination on someone's character. Do you know people like this? Just so nice. If they were any nicer, you couldn't be friends with them. Can I get an amen? That's how I picture Ananias. Now he's bringing Saul into the group. Have we met Saul? Ananias, we told you he's coming to kill us. That was yesterday. Saul immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Well, this is a big switch for you, isn't it? People walk into church, and now Saul is up there. You were on our side yesterday. And now you're telling us that the way, don't you have papers to kill those people? And now you're telling us they're right? So it's hard to keep up with you. So that's a bit, what's the word? It cuts into your pride for, for Saul. This is, this is awkward. You know those people I was trying to kill? Turns out they're right. Let's all join them. Jesus is who he says he is. Verse 21, all who heard him were amazed because Paul could make an argument. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? That's the guy, right? I saw his name in the paper. That's the guy. I saw a little documentary about him. That's the guy. What happened? Sometimes we're looking for God, and sometimes God calls us when we're not looking for him even a little bit. Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs. Well, this is annoying. Used to be on our side, now you're on their side, and you're making compelling arguments about why you're right to switch sides and why they're right, but we still don't want to admit that, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah promised from the Old Testament. We've been waiting for this guy. He showed up. Saul said, you know what? I missed him too, but it's not too late. They're like, can't be right. Nobody here is wrestling with that, but they did years ago, these terrible people. Verse 23. 
After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. Can I get an amen? How do you fix the problem? Eliminate the problem. You know, we're way out here. The Roman Empire is kind of crazy. They've got the gladiator games. Let's just make it look like an accident. Verse 24, they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him like you do. Saul's old friends. We, we kill Jesus' followers. We don't become one. That's it. You're out. But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket. I don't know how work is going for you right now, but if you have to be lowered over the side of the city wall in a basket, that's a rough day at work. Through an opening in the city wall. So he takes another trip back to Jerusalem. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they're all afraid of him. Saul, you were just here. You got the papers. We've been hiding from you. We only came out because you left, and now you're back, and you want to hang out? This isn't a Starbucks situation, Saul. You killed friends of mine. Yes, but that was a while ago. I'm different now. Uh huh. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Well, you can imagine. We're sitting in Kansas City, and Victor, who was complete nut from Russia, and he was, we were having this discussion, can you lose your salvation? Once you believe in Jesus, can you walk away from it and Jesus lets you? And those of us who have grown up in America are like, no, once you're on Team Jesus, you're always on Team Jesus. And Victor said, let me tell you a story. He said, I'm a Christian because my grandfather was a Christian. Now, you do the math. This is almost 30 years ago. Victor was about 30 years old at the time. And so his grandfather, what year do you think his grandfather was born in Russia, right? What was going on in Russia at that time? I think, I think Lenin was still alive when Grandpa was born. And then it went to Stalin. And if you met as a church, as a Jesus follower, you risked being thrown in jail and killed in Russia. And so what would happen, the stories that Grandpa would tell Victor was as Victor was growing up and becoming a Christian, Grandpa said, we need to send you to America. Because if you stay here, there's going to be trouble. What would happen is you'd have your small group, your house church, and somebody new would come in, and they would be excited, and they would sing the songs, and they would get baptized, and they would talk the talk. But what they were really doing is writing down everybody's names and reporting them to the KGB, and then one day everybody got rounded up. And that person got a promotion. So as we're sitting there having this discussion in America in a nice air-conditioned room with no weird bugs about can you lose your salvation, we're like, no, pass me the tea. And Victor was saying, you guys don't know how lucky you have it. There comes a day when you have to make a choice. Are you on Team Jesus or not? And it's not believe Jesus, then there's no more problems. We want easy. We want comfort. And the promise is you will never be alone. We want it easy. The promise is you'll never be alone. And it's true. We can go through almost anything if you have a couple of good people to go through it with you. Let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, the reason why we do the snacks, we do the donuts, we do the coffee, isn't because we get thirsty. It's because when we are reminded that you have given us this amazing ability to bond over some food, and when we will do that together, 
The conversation that follows leads to connections. One of those you too kind of moments. I thought I was the only one. Lord, we each came here seeking something today. May we first find it in you. Would you be our God in such a way that we can hear you, we can feel you, and may we find those around us that we can live life with for as long as we have breath. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship with you, A is to admit we can be part of the problem. B is to believe that you are the one who forgives sin and makes us worthy of the throne room of God. And C is to choose each and every day to follow you right into eternity through all of the adventures of this life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and everybody said, amen.